Avian flu and bovine TB. We have a cautionary tale this morning for farmers. Geese and waterfowl and wildfowl are coming over to our country now because it's their usual pattern of migration. So they're landing on the east coast of England. Also, what next for Rhizome with confirmation of potential legal action? I I think that the university is acting completely unreasonably. And we touch on a new study showing fresh evidence of pyrethroid resistance in diamondback moths. Sunday. November 20th, 2016. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Be vigilant. That seems to be the message this week over fears of two diseases that would be bad news for farming if identified in our part of the world. In part of Lincolnshire, farmers have been urged to get all cattle aged over six weeks tested after a case of bovine TB was confirmed in a wild roe deer near Ragby. It was actually back in March, though the Animal and Plant Health Agency has only now written to farmers confirming the case. Nick James is a veterinary head at the agency. What's the advice for farmers then, Nick? Okay, so the the individual farmers um, who are in the area in question have have been written to just to say that we're going to do an additional one-off check test um, for each of of them um, and uh, that that's the reason for that is that we'd found TB in a in a wild deer that was shot in the locality um, some months ago. Now, obviously, the deer was was shot back in March. Why is it taken uh, kind of so long, if you like, before farmers are being um, contacted? First of all, it does take a long time to culture um, TB from samples. Um, we find this routinely with um, infected cattle as well, and it can take some months um, to establish that you've definitely got TB there. Um, and then also in this particular case, um, finding it in the deer, we then needed to think, well, do, is this significant? Do we want to do anything about it? Um, and we did quite an extensive uh, bit of consultation uh, with, with various experts, including the Forestry Commission on the, the roaming habits of deer, um, and established a, a plan to do this one-off check test in the, this quite a large area uh, between Lincoln and Horncastle, um, just to make sure that there isn't TB um, in cattle herds in that area that we don't know about. Um, and, and the reason for doing this is that this is a low-risk area. We don't uh, routinely test the cattle very often. It's only once every four years. And the last thing we want is for disease to be developing and us, us not knowing about it. So um, hence the uh, decision to go ahead and do a one-off check test for for these particular herds. And it's just a precautionary measure, really, isn't it, because of this one deer? Yeah, exactly. It's purely precautionary. Um, the area you know, is around where that deer was found and also where we had a, um, a, a breakdown in cattle. We say breakdown, that's an, an infection uh, in an individual uh, bovine animal um, about 25 kilometres away that had a, a similar strain of TB. And although that animal had been brought in from... Uh, an infected area further west um, we wanted just to be you know, doubly sure that there was nothing else going on in the locality. Nick James there stressing it is just a precautionary measure the testing taking place on cattle. Well poultry farmers are also being urged to be vigilant after a fresh outbreak of so-called bird flu across mainland Europe. The strain doesn't affect humans but it is highly contagious in birds, and the virus has so far been reported in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Hungary, Poland, Holland, Denmark and Croatia. The NFU is holding a series of events offering advice to poultry farmers. This
This week, two events were held, one in Newark and one in York. Andy Marsh caught up with Alison Pratt at the Newark event on Tuesday. Well, unfortunately, there have been a number of outbreaks of avian influenza on the continent. And at this time of year, uh, birds from Europe, particularly migratory birds like geese and waterfowl and wildfowl, are coming over to our country now because it's their usual pattern of migration. So they're landing on the east coast of England and Scotland and they could potentially be bringing avian influenza and other pathogens with them and infecting our free range and broiler flock here in this country. How much of a concern is it to farmers locally? I think it's a great concern. Um, It's a threat that they can't measure or anticipate. Um, So what we're trying to do today and with our whole series of avian influenza roadshows is to highlight what farmers can do to protect their flocks and to make sure that they do the very utmost they can to prevent this disease coming into our poultry industry. How likely is it? I mean, you don't know exactly, but I mean, is it a strong likelihood or is it an outside chance or or what? Well, uh, (laughs) a bit of both. Um, As we've seen on the continent, the numbers of avian influenza uh, outbreaks that are occurring are increasing. Um, It's that time of year when migration does occur. Um, I would say the likelihood of it happening is much increased and I want everybody to make sure that they're being as vigilant as they possibly can to check their flocks for any signs of, of ill health and report it as soon as they possibly can to their own vet. And there's certain procedures and measures that the average farmer can take to lessen the risk of this actually coming onto their farm? Yes, that's very true. Um, biosecurity, which is basically preventing um, uh, infection from coming onto your farm is so so important and again this is we're highlighting that this today at our roadshow to make sure that farmers understand that they have a big responsibility to limit the um, access of infection into their birds and to do all they possibly can to stop that. What are the sort of measures you're advising farmers to take? Things like keeping records of everybody that comes onto the farm, make sure that you've got proper barriers in place so nobody can just wander into a house, make sure your infection, disinfection procedures are as high as possible. Um, don't allow anybody to see the birds unless they absolutely have to. Um, fairly common sense, fairly standard, um, but very, very sensible. We hope it doesn't happen, but if it were to happen, or there's a suspected case that the farmer has, what are their first actions? Well, contact uh, your own vet as soon as possible. Contact the Animal, Plant and Health Agency as well. Um, make sure that if you have um, a um, a number of birds that uh, become sick very quickly that you do notify somebody as soon as possible and that goes I'm afraid to backyard flocks to pet flocks as well um, if you have just a few hens in your in your yard and they do look very poorly or or die report it as soon as you possibly can to your vet uh, it's very important that we knock this on the head and find out if there's an infection as soon as we possibly can because there are two ways of looking at it one you don't want it brought into the country in the first place but for that individual farmer should it happen, and we hope it doesn't, then that's a real problem for them. Presumably they have insurance, but at the same time, it's really serious. Um, There's no insurance against the disease, unfortunately. You can insure for what happens afterwards, for having to cleanse and disinfect your premises. Um, And there's not very much... um, compensation for the actual culling of the birds either Um, if avian influenza is confirmed the whole flock has to be killed um, and only healthy birds are compensated for it's a very long and drawn out procedure it's a very expensive procedure to get your premises back to where they should be Uh, again we're looking at it today um, trying to get farmers to understand the contingency plans that they have to put in place if this is the case if they get an avian influenza infection it's very complicated very long-winded and very expensive
Alison Pratt of the NFU speaking to Andy Marsh at that event in Newark earlier this week. We've news on Rhizome College soon. First, on to Grain and from Open Field, it's Tom Miller. Hello, Tom. Good morning. How's things? Oof, not too bad, a bit chilly, but uh, <laughs> it turns a, a bit, bit colder. Now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. But it's uh, not too bad. Um, nothing really earth shattering this week in the news wires, to be honest. Uh, no real change in cereal prices. Uh, futures fluctuate with currency movements, as we've seen well, for quite some time now, really. Um, some recent data released over the last week and a half. Um, the UK wheat balance sheet is potentially tight, uh, with exports at the end of September at 711,000 tonnes, roughly, uh, and an October through to December export programme already written to the near continent in Algeria. So it'll be interesting to see how much we've exported by the end of the year. Um, both ethanol plants in the UK are currently in operation. Uh, farmers are already well sold and happy to wait until the balance. Uh, to sell the balance and consumers still have cover to take, which could make things interesting uh, for the rest of the season. And bearing in mind, we still are only really halfway through November, so there's a long way to go yet. Um, however, as I've said before, this is against a backdrop of a large uh, supply of wheat in the world and a potentially huge Australian harvest on its way, uh, large South American harvest on its way as well. Uh, quality is and will be a big factor going forward. Globally, uh, quality wheat availability is shrinking. Uh, which is supporting Black Sea and US wheat prices, whilst Black Sea will have logistical issues um, and the lack of South American maize offers until new crop is further underpilling the base values, really. Um, US hard red wheat is the uh, cheapest in the world on a FOB basis, uh, although US exports are running, uh, running at a pace that will meet the USDA forecast for exports. Um, and there's no real extra demand being pushed to the states at the minute due to price competitiveness. Uh, South America weather, politics, logistics, currency, uh, they're all going to be the focus going forward, all of which are equally unpredictable, uh, as recent events have clearly demonstrated. Really, none of us can predict, you know, especially the currency is the big thing at the minute. Um, so having a quick look at rapeseed, uh, the strengthening of the sterling from post-Trump has knocked £16 off the domestic rape price. Although the underlying Matif uh, French rapeseed futures market uh, has been trading sideways with no real direction. Farmers in the UK holding out for 350x farm, uh, not keen sellers at levels between 335 and 340x currently. Uh, some merchants have been paying up for spot physical cover because they're struggling to buy it. Um, spot demand has eroded the carry in the market with less than a pound a month going forward. Um, reports going on to new crop quickly on the plantings. Reports suggesting in some parts of Essex uh, only 20% of the planted area is still viable due to the combination of dry weather and cabbage stem flea beetle, which has been a big problem. Um, although in other parts of the country further away from the high-pressure beetle areas, uh, crops are looking in good condition. Uh, nationally, English rapeseed area for 2017 harvest estimated to be down 4 to 5%, so maybe not as big a drop as people were expecting. Um, and throughout Europe, plantings for 2017 are slightly higher than 2016, so it's the higher prices which are incentivising farmers to plant the rapeseed um, over other commodities. Um, further afield, US soybean harvest is now just about complete, yielding a record just over 3.5 tonnes a hectare due to favourable weather. Uh, in Brazil, planting of the main soybean crop uh, is progressing ahead of average, while the Argentina uh, plantings is a bit behind due to rain. Um, although there's still time within the optimum window uh, should they get a dry spell. Um, but both countries are set to harvest record soybean crops in 2017, so coupled with the bigger plantings in Europe, it'll be interesting dynamic. Um, December is worth uh, 338x farm, uh, and there's very little carry in the market.
So feed wheat, uh, the spot seems to be the better sell in the further forwards. Uh, December's worth 136 to 140x um, and very little carry in the market going through through to May, June. Um, November 17, which we always touch on, is 130 to 132x, so it's worth looking at further forward. Uh, nearby Group 1 milling wheat premiums are being eroded by the high spot feed base. Um, forward premiums are still languishing at around £10 over feed, uh, depending on, on movement requirements and, uh, and quality. Feed barley, that's still a poor relation to, to wheat, um, 115 to 117x for December. And again, the barley, there's very little carry in the market. Uh, there's no real change in the bean market, lack of general demand uh, for human consumption and uh, feed beans, reluctance from farmers to sell, believing there should be more upside to the bean market because it hasn't really risen in line with the other commodities. It stayed relatively flat. Um, feed beans are worth 144 to 145x with human consumption spring circa £15 premium. Thank you, Tom Miller. Open field. It's been revealed this week there's further evidence of pyrethroid resistance in diamondback moths. Three samples, including one from Lincolnshire, have been tested by Rotherstead's Dr Steve Foster. And now AHDB Horticulture is planning a workshop in January to discuss the implications of the findings on future pest management. We'll hope to be at that workshop in the new year. It's an issue we'll also touch on with agronomist Sean Sparling when uh, he joins us in a moment. Oh, plus Nick Morris will be here as well from British Sugar with an update on the beet campaign. On Friday, it was confirmed the government is considering starting legal action against the University of Lincoln over its plans for Rise Home. As we've discussed a number of times on the programme, the university has outlined its plans for the estate, which includes a housing development, though insists agriculture will still play a role there. Now, the Department of Education, through the Skills Funding Agency, is taking the unprecedented type of legal action unless the university makes what's described as a satisfactory offer to settle the dispute. Sir Edward Lee made the revelation at the opening of Phase 2 of Bishop Burton's Rise Home College showground over the other side of the A15 on Friday. I think it's a very significant and important announcement that the Minister is prepared to step in. I, don't, I think that the university is acting completely unreasonably. They're not a private company. They're entirely funded pretty well by the taxpayer, as is this college, and the college and university should work together. And I don't think, um, given that the, the Rise Home campus uh, is protected by a trustee, as far as I understand, to provide agricultural learning, I don't believe that the university should just cover it with houses. This is a brand new agricultural college. It's cost £24 million, mainly of public money, to put up. And it should have a farm, and the farm should not be taken away from it. So I think this is a very significant announcement, which I've been happy to make today. You've, you've said, obviously, they're considering legal action. Do you think it will end up in court, or can the university do something to stop that? Well, I think there will be legal action, unless university is reasonable and does a deal. I mean, they haven't been prepared to do a deal so far. They've just said, we own this land... Uh, we don't think the trustee means anything. Um, we want to maximise our profits. We're going to cover it with houses. Of course, the local people don't want it covered with houses. We're talking about 2,000 houses in Greenbelt land. So I think it is very significant. What would be a satisfactory outcome? What would be a satisfactory well, deal? Well, a satisfactory outcome is a compromise that the university can build some houses, but they allow the college to have a farm. That would be a satisfactory outcome, which I'm sure the villagers of Riseholme would also accept that they, I mean, I'm sure they'd accept some housing, but not the whole place covered with housing. It's Edward Lee speaking there on Friday. The University of Lincoln has issued a statement in light of what Sir Edward had to say there. They say they're surprised that this should be raised in this way. 
as they're currently in ongoing discussions with the Skills Funding Agency and their advisors. Vice-Chancellor Professor Mary Stewart and Professor Simon Pearson, who's Director of the Lincoln Institute for Agri-Food Technology, also have a meeting planned with Sir Edward to discuss his concerns in the near future. It says the university has leading expertise in agri-food technology and is working closely with partners across the sector to develop education and research to support the future of farming and the food industries. Well, it's uh, certainly one we'll be keeping a watch on over the coming weeks. I'm sure this is going to rumble on for a few weeks yet. For now, though, let's move on, shall we, to agronomy. And Sean Sparling is with us once again. Hello, Sean. Morning, Sean. Now then, the weather is now cold then. again. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so. Let's have a bit of cold. It helps me as an agronomist because I, you know, you become quite popular when you're saying to people, uh, yeah, here's your fungicide ticket for all seed rate. And they say, can I put it in with the curb? And you say, I'd rather you didn't because it's not cold enough for the curb. Well, now we're at this point. The soil temperatures are falling away. It's certainly got colder since the beginning of the week and it looks like it's set to stay cold. And that's important because with propizomide, you need the soil temperature to be cold cold and falling it doesn't want to be going up and down because this is where you lose five to fifteen percent and we can't afford to lose that so we're now at the point where outstanding fungicide treatments on fields can go in with the propizomide because it is cold enough and I'm telling my growers that there is however a slight complication and that is whereas with propizomide you can go on a damp leaf you can go on a frosty leaf you can't do that if there's a fungicide in it because the fungicide needs the leaf to be relatively dry and drying so that it can actually get on and do its job so what I would urge you to do is if you get an opportunity to spray um, and it is cold enough and you can amalgamate them then do that but if it's wrong for one or the other don't do it keep them apart because you've got until the end of January to put the propizomide on and while we're talking about diseases in oilseed rape the light leaf spot seems to have faded out of the picture the foma seems to have faded up in the picture so prioritise foma prioritise the more backward fields because it'll be quicker getting from the leaf down to the petiole and into the stem on a backward small crop than it will on one of the gigantic forest jungle crops that there are kicking about the county um, and while we're talking about oilseed rape obviously there's, there's been an awful lot of talk about resistance and I know there was a piece in the press this week about diamond back now being the moth being resistant to pyrethroids and that's a very current thing because pyrethroids are about all we have left in terms of insect control in many things obviously since we lost the neonicotinoids on the seed we're using a lot of pyrethroids and we're using pyrethroids everywhere we have other things like biscaya and plenum and tapiki and 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 other things out there but it looks like diamondback moth is now completely resistant to pyrethroids. So if you go twice in the spring with a diamondback moth spray, just like any other thing, if it's resistant, you're doing a lot more harm. That goes for flea beetle as well. If you're spraying every three, four, five, six days for flea beetle, if you didn't kill them within two, you're not going to kill them with four and five and six. So you're making the problem worse. And I think there's an argument for increasing the price of insecticides to 10 quid an acre in the spring because it's a very easy decision when it's only a quid an acre. So perhaps that's something we need to visit to stop this growing. Winter wheat, slugs, they're becoming an issue again. Uh, they're moving up. Now it's come cold, hopefully they'll move down. But you can't let your guard down against the slugs. If you've got late drill winter wheat, hollowing is the biggest single issue. Just because you can't see it and you assume it's not up yet because it's cold, go and have a dig about because you may well find that there is a, a slug presence down there. If you've already reached your 7 kilo maximum of a 3% metaldehyde, 
then move into ferric phosphate. They do work, they are more expensive, but they definitely do work. So just be in front of the slugs and areas is what you want to be looking at. Use uh, bait points, check out what you're doing. Aphids, they are increasing in cereals at the moment, the ones which are through the ground. And remember that if you've got a deterdress seed, then that will protect you for about eight weeks from emergence. Once you get to eight weeks, take your average day temperature, remove three, keep what's left and add them up till you get to 170. That's when you start putting insecticides on after eight weeks. If you haven't got deter from the day it emerges, start adding them up. As soon as you get 170, that's when you start. And when you've done it, start it all again to 170. As things get colder, insect pressure will get less slug pressure will increase probably while it's wet and while the growth is slow that is a high priority to keep in front of so apart from that everything's hunky-dory as always as always yeah you mentioned the 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 diamondback moth um and the research that's been in lincolnshire and suffolk and scotland you were actually with the guy who did the research yeah i was with him on tuesday at stonely i I spoke at a conference for the nfu uh fascinating fella absolute genius that man as you realize how insignificant you are when you stood next to people like that and that research, as you say, it's, it's crucial. Yeah, it's and, and it's something that he's working on every day. And resistance, 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 that's the big word because we're going to see so much more of it when we're limited to one mode of action, which is pyrethroid, to control all of these pests and we're making the problem worse. So for me, we need that moratorium to throw up something very interesting about neonicotinoids and we start moving back, perhaps protect what isn't resistant. Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. It's been a couple of weeks since we heard from uh, Nick Morris from British Sugar in Newark on the latest campaign, so um, about time we had an update, really. And by coincidence, here he is. Hello, Nick. Yeah, OK, so to start with a bit of an update uh, on the campaign, I'll provide the, the usual stats. So we're now actually 47 days in, uh, and I can report the factory, thankfully, is still going really well. And by 7 o'clock this morning, we will have processed 435,000 tonnes of sugar beet and are currently averaging a daily slice of 9,200 tonnes a day. And it's fair to say that beet supply remains plentiful. It always gets to this stage of the season and harvesters have managed to pull a bit of a gap in front of transport. So uh, adequate stocks have built upon farm and then as temperatures are now starting to drop a little bit, um, the, t- the time between harvesting and delivery becomes a little bit less critical but still uh, important to keep them as tight as possible uh, going into, into December. So we've now uh, delivered 32% of our contracted tonnage, so about uh, a third of the way through campaign. And it's fair to say the quality of the crop remains still very good. We've now actually had 16,000 loads delivered to date. And from those 16,000 loads, the average dirt tear has been 5.5%, with the sugar content averaging 17.12%, which is an increase of a quarter of a percent since my last report two weeks ago. So it's still on the increase. And in fact, towards the end of this week, the daily average was actually as high as 17.7%. So really encouraging to see uh, that continue. But we always see that around this stage, it will start to plateau. So we now have 56 contracts which have finished delivering their crop for the season and the overall yield from those contracts has been 68 tonnes a hectare which is really encouraging for this uh, stage of the season because generally they would be from earlier harvested crops which have had a little bit less time to grow. So looking good so far. In terms of next year's crop... Um, we, I mentioned it in my last report, really it's just about planning at this stage. So it's into uh, reviewing results from soil analysis, correcting soil acidity with uh, Limex, applying base fertiliser, nutrition, and looking for any potential compacted areas which need alleviating. Uh, and it's a great time uh, to start ploughing heavy land to make sure that the weather can play its part over the winter uh, in breaking down and helping us prepare those seedbeds in the spring. 
Drill performance testing, that's uh, really critical to ensure that uh, a cell wheel wear, cull to wear um, and um, cell wheel speed are, are actually tested from one season to the next and uh, dealerships are now now carrying out those tests for farms. Um, and, and then really thereafter, it's just a great time to look and consider lessons learned from 2016, such as seed rate, did I establish 100,000 plants, how did I get on with weed control, how did the budget look, did we spend uh, the right sort of money and uh, provide adequate return on the crop, and ultimately what can I do to make sure I deliver 80 tonne a hectare next year. Thank you. Uh, back in a fortnight, Nick Morris from British Sugar. Right, as we mentioned with Sean, the weather has turned colder, but is it here to stay? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it's certainly a mixed week ahead, it's fair to say. Heavy rain through the night, some further rain to come through the rest of today, I'm afraid. Highs of 8 Celsius, that wind from the north-northwest today, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Overnight should be drier with patchy cloud. Possibility of uh, clear skies that could push temperatures down to uh, freezing points, so it could be a frost in places first thing tomorrow. Uh, the wind from the southwest, 10, gusting at 15, maybe 20 miles an hour for a time. Tomorrow, dry but cloudy, some sunshine. Chilly, highs of 4 Celsius tomorrow. The wind from the north at about 5 miles an hour. And then a further band of heavy rain sweeping in Monday into Tuesday. Temperatures about 4 Celsius with that cloud cover. The wind from the north-northwest at 10, gusting at 25 miles an hour. Tuesday itself, after some uh, rain first thing in the morning, it should be drier and brighter with sunny spells. We've got highs of about 7 Celsius. Still windy, though, from the northwest at 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. Dry and cloudy Tuesday into Wednesday. Temperatures down to around 2 Celsius. Possibility still of a frost in places. The wind from the north at about 10, gusting at 20 miles an hour. And then the middle of the week starts off chilly. Temperatures getting up a little bit. Patchy clouds, 7 Celsius the high come the middle of the day. The wind more from the northeast at 10, again gusting at 20, 25 miles an hour. Then the latter end of the week, well, it's still going to be breezy. Should be a lot drier, though. The highs generally around 8 Celsius overnight lows of about five or six celsius that's the forecast then i promised you a mixed bag of course we'll uh, keep you updated with the uh, hourly forecasts as the week continues until next sunday when we'll do it all again at the same time have a good week's farming